Good day, good morning, good afternoon. It is John Summers, the history vendor. Sounds a bit silly, that, doesn't it? But anyway, um, look, um, I have split. Um, I did one long recording, didn't I? And, and episode 11 was the first half of it. And now this one, episode 12, is the second half of this one long recording. Um, yeah, so that's like the backstory. And, and I'm just going to drop you straight in. The next item on my agenda, the Goodwood Festival of Speed. Yeah. I mean, it was good. We got a bit lucky with the weather, given Saturday was cancelled. Um, Why? We went on. The high winds. Wind and rain, yeah. Friday was a bit of a washout. It was bucketing it down quite heavily. And I think with the wind getting up for the Saturday, they were like, look, it's going to be easier to just scratch it. Um, and then have the Sunday. So, yeah, I mean, look, the Thursdays are always a little bit quieter. I mean, you wouldn't know it from the crowds now. I mean, I've only been going for like the last three years running and each year is noticeably busier. Um, but it was lovely. I mean, it, it's um, some quality stuff. I mean, again, you can't see, you can technically see everything in a day, but I mean, it's, I, don't, I can't be bothered to charge around and be quite that diligent with checking in on everything. So, um yeah i went with my brother and like, a friend a friend from work um well a friend uh, a jabra that i that i um we sold to and his concert subsequently and now now mate um and uh, yeah no we and he took his lad it was his son's 16th birthday the day before so he still counted as a junior in um uh goodwood's eyes and uh it was quite entertaining they both they both said to me in the drive he came to my place and we drove down in one car and um, they both said to me that they, the, the car that they're most passionate about is the Metro 6R4. They only wanted to see a 6R4. Could I guarantee there was going to be a 6R4? And I was like, well, no. I mean, <laughs> if you ask me to guess, will there be one? I would say, yeah, there probably will be. There was last year, if I recollect. Certainly in the paddock, there was one kicking around. I think it was the Computer Vision Blue one, if I recollect. Um, is the ironic well, livery. Yeah. Well, I mean, long story short, we got there for about half nine um, and in the second bunch of cars that went up, there were two Metro 6R4s. So mm -hmm. they, 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 uh, the, including the computer vision one and a red one, I think a red and white one. Um, but yeah, so they, they thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, and then, then they went off and did their thing. They went up to the rally stage. I hung around with my brother for the day, which is great. Um, it is, it, it's, it's, I mean, slightly, uh, you're slightly coddled as a member on the basis that it, when everyone looking at you getting to lunchtime, you think, oh, a bit peckish. And you look around at the food stalls and there's queues sort of 30 or 40 length. And you think, ah, oh. and then I'm a bit on set. I'm a member here. So we wandered around to the, we've, and as it happened, I looked around and said, where's the members bit? And it was about 50 yards away. So Jamie, I can sign one person in. So Jamie and I went and ate there where the queue was too deep. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a, uh, so we're able to sit at a nice table and uh it was it was much more relaxed um as we wanted it my brother said to me now this is more what I, this is more what i'm talking about um so we had a thoroughly nice afternoon i mean like my highlights in terms of cars getting back on track the the mclaren livery on that don't, p1 don't like you have to well no but the, the mclaren the sorry the the um the marlborough 
aping livery on that McLaren P1 was fabulous. Um, looked amazing. Um, I like the RS of that and that that Targa Turbo 911 as well. Um, the car that I was most excited to see, I don't think I actually saw the out uh, the um, what is it, the Ionique N, which for anyone who hasn't, I mean, I'm not that bothered about uh, electric cars, but I like electric cars when they do electric, if you know what I mean, when they do their own thing and don't try and be a different. So what I like about what Hyundai have done is uh, they've aped gears. So they've ch set the torque up in order to give you a gearing feel so that you can, you know, rattle through the gears and have fun with it. Uh, and because it's an electric car uh, and it's a prototype and because they have a sense of humor, evidently, you can change the sound that you have in the car. So you can have a V8 roar if you want, but also you can have a jet engine sound from an, F from an F-18, like from Maverick's movie. And then when you shift gear, you get a sonic boom effect through the through the end of the I mean uh, cool you know if you're gonna do if you're gonna be electric do your own thing like the GTR you know do something different and do it your way so um I and I they tried to make it light and I do think you know. the 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 ability to be an all-rounder and this like some kind of humor and and um it's not my thing but it is seemingly going to form part of the culture of performance EVs. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's, it's not a sort of they, from what I saw from the spec sheet, and I read the article, and I've seen looked at the car and stuff. It's like 300 and something horsepower. So not the usual electric, oh, we've given it four gazillion horsepower, it, it's 300 and something. So plenty, you know, but sort of reflective of where you where current hot hatchbacks are the golf current golf R's 330 340 something like that, I think so in that sort of bracket you know um so yeah I mean it's it's uh it, it looked quite fun I was interested to see it properly it didn't really get a proper chance to have a look at it but um no it was cool um, and it's it's good wood so the fact that you can go and look at the sort of the elf Renault Formula One cars for, and there isn't just one there's like three parked next to each other and you can go and stand and take photos inside and look at the gear shift and look at, you know, there's a little tag on the steering wheel that says good battery in this one. <laughs> okay. Um, so these are being coddled in a way that you would hope they would be. Um, yeah, it, uh, it's a cracking day. I recommend it to everyone. It's different from the members meeting. I still prefer the members meeting because I like to see them out there racing, but you know, anyone who watched Jensen buttons, four billion you know he had the nascar that he took to le mans and uh i mean if you haven't seen his rolling burnout that takes about 10 minutes for him to get up level with the house it's virtually a burnout all the way from the start finish he's just rolling and there's just clouds and clouds of smoke um uh you know there's fun had um hyundai uh, notably smashed one of their concept cars into the into the into the hay bales wrecking it um, someone smashed, uh, I think the wing off a of the CLK GTR one that got dinked into the hay bales. Someone lost the ass of it in the wet and smacked that. There was a couple of other significant casualties in terms of body damage as well. Yeah, it did because you know. I don't have much of a presence on Twitter, but I I did see a clip of film of somebody binning the. Um, that the Leighton House, remember the early Adrian Newey design marches that were March and then Leighton House. And I guess I, at the time, I didn't know who Leighton House were, but it was basically some kind of house of cards, Japanese property company. 
So they oh, were okay. super like, they were almost like rich energy, you know, that kind of utter, you know, house of cards. Now, I'm not, I probably slandered Leighton House there, but I, it, it, drill into it. The, the Leighton House are worth it. Anyway, this, this was the car. And on the approach to the little like left righty bit, um, he lost the back and binned it into the into the scenery. I am Matthew Hopkins, Witchfinder. So I spent some time in Connecticut uh, and up and New York recently. Um, I was there because, you know, there's a chance that we might move there. Um, I had this Nissan Altima. Um, you know, in the past, they've had a CVT. Um, I don't know if it had a CVT, but it was a lot better than other ones I've, I've driven for, uh, for what it's worth. It was really quite a inoffensive you know nice it, it, incredibly forgettable but quite a nice piece of, of of kit to use the most memorable thing is that big grill with the slitty eyes that everyone seems to be doing now that implies that everybody's driving a camaro or a hot rod audi but actually you've just got like you know uh Altima. but you know I, I got on all right with it but uh yeah um there's something about that part of New England that brings out the rebel in me. I just want to fight the system. It's it's and, and it's summed up by a conversation that I had with Ollie, which is that there's all this there's all these houses that are set in all this grassland, you know, and then there's another one and another one. But they're they're all like enormous houses, you know, six bedroom, five bathroom job, nice design, you know, like but that's that, and they're all like a long way apart with these rolling. So Ollie's like, "Well, look at all this grass. Could I ride my dirt bike there?" And I'm like, uh, "Maybe if it was ours." And my wife's like, "No, you're not allowed." So that's what it's summed up by, right? It's summed up by the fact that there's all this. You're not allowed. There's all this grass, but it's not for riding on. It's for looking at. So, I mean, I said to Dana, I said to Dana, it would be all right. I'd be all right for like a month or so. And then one day you would get a phone call and it would be the police. And they would say that there's been an accident and that one of these houses that's 300 yards from the road has my Mustang embedded in it. And that turn that isn't really a turn at 90 miles an hour, but 120 is a turn. <laughs> you know, that's, that's how it would go. I would, I would like it would come out like that. I would like I I I'm like I feel like I yeah. I, it's like I I don't know what to say. You can see I can't even find the words now to describe how. Um, yeah, it, it, it's um. I I I love the fact that here in California you can wear flip flops and a t shirt. Um, I don't like the fact that you can't do that in other places. It's, it almost begins and ends there. But this mm. this 
stupid class prattling wasn't really what I was uh, was was getting at with this. I was thinking at pulled over at the side of the road in a particularly picturesque spot, thinking it's so beautiful. And you know, I know like the weather in the winter's terrible, but you know, like you know, I, but I just can't do this like sheer like what Dana calls stick up the assness of, uh, of of the whole of, of New England. And then I'm looking in the rear view and there's an Aston Martin V8 Vantage coming on this country road. No other cars have passed me. It's 25 mile an hour limits. And damn it, if it's not an E-plate. Here we are in New England, but this car is just wearing an English number plate. And he comes on by and it is a proper like last of the line V8 Vantage on a E registration British plate. Um, didn't catch the glimpse of the driver. So when he goes on by, I just I just follow him. And over the E plate at the back, it's got a Connecticut number plate. And I wouldn't say that he was, you know, driving the car like it was on a racetrack, but I had to work the Altima fairly hard to keep up this in a 25 mile an hour speed limit. And then he just pulled off out of the little like estate part onto like a main parkway and went off and, and did his business. And I was like, you know what? Maybe there is some room for it, but that was a super cool car in a kind of cool context. And it's mm. like, um, did I, did you look at the link to that cheap MG EV? No. Um, it's a cheap MG EV that's like a normal sized car. Um, as part of our like milestones in the evolution of the EV, this seemed like a significant development. This feels like, this is like something which is not a million miles away from the AMI in price but as functional as now i do want to say with all of these cheap evs and with old evs the residuals on them are terrible because the batteries lose performance so much and so quickly so i do feel mm. like in six or seven years there's going to be a ton of electric cars which look fine but are worthless and need to be broken up because of the batteries that feels so grotesquely wasteful but you know it's just our consumer society isn't it, it, it yeah it's uh it's uh, i mean yeah. i can't yeah. pretend it looks good actually now that you, i'm looking at the picture of it i have seen one on the road i think i mean yeah i don't particularly like it but yeah it's i mean whatever but, but that's not the point i i think i i just think that the this i i i mean uh, I'm not saying I don't care what you think. I'm saying that I, I, I do. Um, but I'm just making the point that I feel like this is the this is an important milestone that, you know, towards cheap, affordable electric cars. So uh, both of us watched Le Mans this year. I know it was ages ago, but we it takes me ages to percolate these topics through. Don't, you know, I'm, I won't be judged for being slow and disorganized as who I am. Um, Le Mans, the TV experience, your thoughts. I'll 
throw a few out there. I feel like it's pretty enjoyable. I feel like yeah. you can access the race in in a really interesting way that you couldn't do. You know, when I was going to Le Mans 20 years ago, you had to, like, go there and deal with that, like, intense carnival, gearhead, Mad Max kind of atmosphere. You don't have to... You don't have to deal with that. Um, if you... no, I just subscribe to Eurosport for the month, and then you know, there you go. It's uh, it's all there, and I like the fact that I mean, I listened to a bit of F one the other day, and like, I don't want to ever go at anyone, especially somebody necessarily can't catch up. But Martin Brundle is Martin Brundle. I've got no problem with Martin Brundle. David Croft just winds me the fuck up. Like he won't shut up. Now I know to be fair to him and to defend him because he can't defend himself. He is paid to talk about the race, but. Um, and even though the cars don't saying? sound that great, Murray was I think, saying, "Surely this new bloke is trying to like be what Murray was." Yeah, but I think they could all take a lesson from James Hunt, who don't didn't say all that much, but had more was more interesting when he did have something to say. And shut up and let the let, especially when it's on board. Let me hear the car, you know. Let me hear the car and let me like pay attention to that. There's there's an there's a quote there's a a, um, a clip I was watching a while back of. Uh, one of them, I think it's Anthony Davidson, when they're chatting in the group stuff in a qualifying session or a Friday session kind of thing at Spa. And he was, oh, well, let's listen to them go go, go through our rouge. He gets about half a second into it and Crofty just talks over the whole thing. Um, I, like, it, it's, uh, I, I, I just, mm, I don't know. It's not even as if he was saying anything particularly valid. But then again, I'm, I'm sort of maligning a guy for something I don't watch very religiously. So it's probably not fair. Uh, I've got to say, I I uh, I must have watched about five minutes of Formula One in the last five years, and I watched the beginning of the British Grand Prix, and I watched Verstappen turn in on Hamilton at one hundred and sixty miles an hour, and watched him bin off into the scenery, and then listened to them talk about whether or not. That was Hamilton's fault. The 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 level of I mean what the the biggest thing that turns me off about the sport is level like I just I just can't get past that. So so that means that and I know that sort of Verstappen is what Senna was for my generation, but I'm the old guard now, and I can't respect the guy. I won't watch the sport because of him. There we go. It's, it's, I have less of an issue with him. I find him grumpy and a bit brusque, but then that's his right. Um, what I find irritating is the whole but her thou shalt not criticise us of Red Bull. Um, I mean, that can just profoundly fuck off. Um, their whole attitude was encapsulated for me by Ted Kravitz, Ted Kravitz saying one in one of his sort of post-wrap uh, wrap-ups sort of, when he wanders around, I think it was this, I might be misquoting the guy, but it was something along the lines of, he was wandering around, he said, like, you know, he referred to the incident at the end of the previous season, or the season before last, whatever it was, and when, uh, and he, he said rather blithely, when Lewis was robbed. Um, which, difficult to argue if you sit down and dispassionate about the facts, you know, the guy got fired for making the decision he made, um, altered the rules of the race in order to make it more exciting for the fans, Okay, I can see why you want to do that. It's a commercial sport, but that's not what the rules said. And therefore, it enabled Max Verstappen to win the race when perhaps he wouldn't have, almost certainly he wouldn't have done otherwise. And Red Bull then refused to speak to Ted Kravitz 
wouldn't and wouldn't give interviews to Sky for the following week or so, and were like, "It's you know, we won't have that. No criticism." And it's like we have to live in this mystical world where that didn't happen, and you know, there's no you can't malign that. And they were the same, if I recollect, when I was watching it more, when Vettel was the was their man, and there was no. There was no criticizing Vettel. There was no favoritism in the team that you weren't allowed to call Weber that you know this number two driver. And it's like, well, look, you're the one that behaves like he's a number two driver and gives him second shrift. And when there's an incident between the two of them and it's clearly Vettel's fault, you don't defend Weber. You defend Vettel. It's like, you know, it's the German guy with the, in that team. Okay, I understand why it's that way, but I, I refuse to play in this charade around that we're not allowed to call that out. So. I mean, and look, Mike, I was probably happy when Michael was winning all the time as Ferrari and now Vettel's winning all the time as Red Bull and it's boring and it was boring for Ferrari as well. So, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the sport in recent years has been, it feels like the era, the, it feels like the domination is more complete and lasts for longer in this century than it did in the last century. In the last century, the last 20 years of the last century, there was, you know, you, you didn't really know what was going to happen at the beginning of every season. Whereas now, you know, we're in like the Verstappen era and he will set all these records. And then when his motivation or Horner's motivation falters, then somebody else will get a, a look in kind of thing. Um, I think at some point, Radrian knew he retires um, and that will balance things up again, probably. <laughs> Yeah, I I know too little about um about modern Formula One to. What... I mean, it's difficult to argue he's the most successful F one designer of all time. It's sort of almost impossible to argue anyone else. Um, if you look at his sort of career of success. Um... So on the subject of uh, of things motorsport, um, these uh, these folk getting killed at, at Spa, um, young and where you know, my understanding is it's it's you get it wrong at Radion. The problem is that you bounce back onto the track and then then are hit by 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 oncoming cars. Um, I want to say it's a knotty problem, and I'm glad I'm not a steward of the circuit because um, you know, obviously to do anything you know to be to to listen to these young pups be like mm, change the circuit bro. this seems not remotely a good path of action um you know we can turn any sport into tilly wings if we want to or are we really going to emasculate one of the only bits of you know epic bits of motorsport left kind of thing um you know obviously some people would advocate that we should do that at the same time um you do feel like, you know, were I the stewards, I would not want people out on track in in the wet because literally you're just waiting for for something like that to happen. It's it's clear that the cars are in a place now where they're going at a speed where you know the same accident has happened twice, right? That's I think what people are upset about quite rightly um i don't know if you can do something about the runoff i mean that's the obvious thing when you visit tamburello now 
you you look and you say, well, you could have done something about the runoff. You could have, could you not have thought about runoff? And it would have been difficult because of the river, but you could have, you, you know, there was at least a thought in that direction. With Radion, you feel like if we purists are so keen on preserving it, can't we do something about runoff that means that you don't bounce back off? I mean, they have done, it is wider on the outside of Eau Rouge and on the left-hand side of the hill there, there's a whole load of tarmac out there that there didn't used to be. Um, so there's more space. Um, but, I mean, you know, the speeds there are so high. I mean, that, that that's that's the issue. And um, those little single-seater cars don't have a lot of side protection. You know, if, if you get T-boned, it's going to hurt. I mean... That said, I mean, if you look at the 24 Hours of Spa yeah, GT... Let me, let me um, give uh, the boss the car keys here. <laughs> oh, they're right here, yeah. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Sorry, no, that's no problem. Oh, where are you going? Sorry, I, I Oh, all right, is the boy going with you? Yeah, and then we're coming back here to get into the Okay, bring it on. What time are we going to the party? Or what? I have to double all right, eleven fifteen or eleven thirty. Great. Okay. Um, you had had a thought which was completed there. So, oh, did you? Yeah. Well, the only other thing I was going to say was the um, that if you watch the twenty, I watched the twenty four hours of GT racing there. Um, you know the the nine elevens and all that sort of stuff. The stuff that you know the the the, the GTE stuff from um Le Mans series. Um, and there's regularly accidents, you know, it's 24 hours, there's regularly accidents, they'll have yellow flags here and there, you know, full course yellows and stuff. But I don't remember anyone actually getting really hurt, but then they're more substantial cars. Um, and I'm not suggesting that they didn't, I'm just saying I didn't see it here anybody. I mean, so, you know, there are, it's, it, but you know, it's dangerous. The, the door hit is always bad. Um, I, I was thinking about this before I came in, before we came into the core here, and I realised that. Um, do you remember that touring car driver Keith Odor um, mm -hmm. was was killed in a in a door hit, and that's with a modern roll cage and a modern car that was that was in the nineties. Um, if you think of it, even there's a good chance Mike Hawthorne might have survived had the car not hit the tree right behind the front wheel at the bottom of the a-pillar right that, you, you know so that's that's two completely different accidents completely different time periods but it, i <laughs> the, the door hits bad the door hit it, it, it always it always will be yeah yeah there's no um yeah, they, they they and they do their best. I mean, I know they do to make it these things as safe as they can. But um, it's um, you know, I, I applaud them. To, you know, the do I like the the aesthetics of the hoop in Formula One? No. Is it a good idea? Yeah. I mean, I, the following season after they were introduced, a car went over the top of Alonso's bonnet, um, and if it had been six inches further back, the tire would have taken his head off, um, and. The, the barrier thing pushed the car up over the top, whether or not it saved his life. It has, I've seen other accidents reported where they were like, you know, that driver would be dead if it wasn't for it. I so, definitely want one if Grosjean was in the, in the race. <laughs> if Grosjean yeah. was in the race, I would definitely want that thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that'd probably be wise. 
Um, uh, the uh, the NASCAR race in Chicago, it rained. Mm. Were you aware of what happened? Yeah, I watched the I watched the highlights of it. Um, did you know Shane Van Ginsburg before? I'd heard the name. Yeah. Yeah, because I I remembered him from V8 Supercars when I used to watch that years and years ago, and I've not watched that for a long time. So, I, I my first thought when he won was, oh, I bet it was a mixed up race, because the my my thought about it was that if you're used to racing on ovals where it doesn't rain, racing on a street circuit. You, you just you're completely out of so so NASCAR guys both in the pits and out of it just would not have had the experience to cope with the situation whereas your v8 supercar guy who is used to acting you know it was it, yeah it, it seemed it seemed less as if the it seemed like the, although it was a NASCAR race it suited the skills of the seasoned v8 supercar guy far more than the skills of a chase it was his debut race though wasn't it i i don't know whether it was his debut. i think it was his first nascar race to be fair to him but i mean well absolutely right and you don't luck into that do you i've just i've just you know the the table was tipped in his favor but but for sure yeah yeah he took that race by the scruff of the neck and won it and i know that without having watched it I just know he must have done. Because oh, he did. Yeah, I watched. I watched the sort of. I think Mark sent out the thing, and I looked at it because I subscribed to NASCAR. Because like two days later, there was the whole thing. You could just watch the whole race on YouTube. So I was like, oh well. Therefore, if I want to watch NASCAR, if I just, I'm not bothered about watching it live, and I'm happy to watch it a few days later, then I can watch it on YouTube. So I watched the 15 minute highlights package of it, and it, there was a lot going on. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of people locking up up the inside, smashing into the tire barriers. And quite, and to be fair to them, quite a lot of people reversing back out of the tire barriers and carrying on about their day. Yeah. Um, so you know, the tire barriers did a pretty good job. But yeah. yeah, yeah, no. If you can like, if you can have a mistake and keep going, I think that adds to the drama of the sport. You know, everyone loves a, a comeback story, don't they? Mm. But no, it, it was, it was, it was, it was, in, it was good fun and uh, fair play to him. I mean, it's a, they were talking about him as a sort of tarmac specialist or a street circuit specialist and stuff. But uh, yeah, run one, one, one. I mean, it's uh, pretty good, isn't it? That's as, as records go, it's tough to touch. next little section here is about storytelling i've called it loosely and it's it's three or four different um you know storytelling organs if if you like um so i'm gonna begin with uh as you know i never watch movies so as ever we're going to talk about things that we're not experts in which is what we do all, all time um i watched fast five fast and the furious number five 
on a plane recently. I watched it with the sound down, listening to EDM. It was there. There were cars. I mean, I mean, wow. I mean, jumping Panteras off trains. Driving. Yeah, I don't think I've seen any of them. I've seen bits of them, if you like, but I've never sat and watched any of them. But it's, there must be something to them. Otherwise, you don't get the Fast and Furious 10 or whatever it is. So, you know. I, there's, I mean, the I the visuals of it is uh, are is it's just awesome. It it's you know Paul Walker and uh, and driving through the streets of Rio in this Hakoska skyline, and you're like, hmm, not real, but somehow, but but you know, real in a like in a Dean's more Greek role play kind of character. <laughs> Yeah. No, in a in a like ridiculous, overstated role play kind of uh, kind kind of way. Um, the the whole um, here's why I thought it was interesting. It's it's a combination of like the most beautiful women and the most amazing cars shot in the most awesome way linked together in this very complicated, utterly implausible comic book kind of of, of storyline. Um, two Dodge Chargers dragging a giant safe through the streets of a city. And now a touch of beauty is added to our program. Hello, Is Mission Impossible out where you are? I've seen it. Dude, the bike stunt. I liked it because it wasn't complicated. It was just jaw-dropping. Because you know he really did it. About five times. they They didn't gussy it up. He just rode the motorcycle off the cliff and did it. Right, that was really a moment in cinema for, for me. It, it the was... only problem I have with it is they overused it, not in the film, but in all of the shit beforehand. So even the bit before the film, after they say the guy comes over the studio mic in the uh, in the darkness to go, "Hey guys, like, hey, surprised you? Like, everyone turn the phones off, you know, like little." sort of make it a jokey matey thing so that you might actually fucking turn your phone off and not be a bad end and eat like mm-hmm. crisps like with your mouth open and stuff all the stuff that people do it's like you know can you keep it quiet no one wants to hear you talking to your buddy um all of that stuff after that there was another bit where they showed tom cruise doing that stunt before they started the movie in the final trailer for the movie i'm sitting down to watch um, yeah. so it, I mean, it's difficult for it to lose impact given what an amazing thing it is. And the fact that, as you say, he did do it and he had to do it four or five or six times or something ridiculous. Um, and, you know, I like the way that they did it. And then they just don't bother to show any of the bit where he gets on the train. They just have him swing in through the window <laughs> um, yeah. at, a, at a fortunate time um, and then some comedy timing elsewhere afterwards. So, um, yeah, 
I mean, it's yeah, it's a stunning piece of work. Um, I, I the the movie itself meh, was okay. I quite enjoyed it. Um, I thought he had too much paladin in him. If for the role players out there, for a chick he barely met and who continuously tried to fuck him over, like I don't understand why he didn't just bond her a bit. If you know what I mean? I I actually liked her as a character. I felt she was yeah. actually had more character than anybody else in the movie. Agreed. Yeah, yeah, but. I lost patience when, upon leaving the police station, she got in a police car and drove away, stole a police car right from in front of a police station, when she could have just walked into the streets of Rome and disappeared. She made some dumb decisions, yeah. And, I mean, and his patience with her, when he had no reason to feel beholden to her at all, it's like, you know, I'm beholden to you because you're hot, was the plot. Yeah. Like if she was a minger, no way. No one's buying that. So I'm beholden to you because you're hot and because yeah. I need you for the rest of the plot because another one of my old exes is going to snuff it in a way that is totally, you know, you could, if you, could, you, could, you could see it from the car park, how far away you could tell she was going to die. You know, I mean, it was obvious. I mean, Jesus. So, when, you know, we need another chick because I'm going to burn the last one, obviously. So, you know, and you know, as well as I do, this is a two part movie. She's going to be in exactly the same position with exactly the same guy. And this time he's going to save her in the second part of the film. I mean, I might be wrong, but I don't think I am. I suspect that's how it's going to go down. Now, you know, did I still enjoy it? Was I annoyed that I'd spent my money? No, I had a great time. It was an, it was an entertaining evening watching a big budget Cheddar Fest. Uh, and it's an interesting decision to make it a five and a half hour movie and split across two films rather than you know do what hollywood usually would do which is edit it down what i'm interested to see is whether or not i think it was worth it if you know what i mean to have that much plot in so far i'm not convinced um but we'll see you know yeah i mean i the the plot of modern movies is just so like i just you know, it's I, I I just try and grasp on to the fundamental. Dude, you want to watch John Wick four, yeah? And if you haven't seen John Wick one, two, or three, like don't worry about it. Um, but if you've seen one of them, it would help. Yeah, the first one or the second one. I I thought three was a bit shit to be honest. I thought they overdid it. But what they've really done with four is just ignore all of that and recognize that what they're doing is live actioning a comic. That's what they're doing. So therefore. It's it, every shot is like a graphic novel. Every shot could be, if you think about it, every shot could be the album cover or could be the shot on the front of the graphic novel. Though you're like, oh, doesn't that look amazing? You know, you know, there's like there's a dawn scene on Sacre Coeur where there's no one else in sight. You know, they're standing there at dawn as the and they have a, like a duel on on on. I mean, it's like you, you what? So um. They, he gets thrown down the steps and he's climbing up the steps. It's like a Tom and Jerry cartoon almost. He gets thrown down these steps so many times and fights his way back up the steps. But like, God damn, um, some of the set pieces are fabulous and it's beautifully lit and beautifully shot. Um, and when you remember it's not a film, it's a, it's a graphic novel, essentially. It's, it's awesome. Um, but again, three hours, 15? Like, yeah. you know. My... Uh... I actually didn't feel like Mission Impossible dragged too much. Usually with three-hour films, I feel like they drag. No, I, I yeah. Feel like Mission. Uh, maybe that's because I just went and took a leak rather than waiting for the movie to end. I was like, I, I think I'll be able to pick up what's happening here. So I went and took a leak. Um, 
moving to another kind of storytelling have you been watching the new 3d bot maker with the new... i saw the i've seen the king of the mountain one yeah what do you make of the new track um it's all right it's growing on me i mean Ollie the number of fatalities was... seems to have gone up ollie thinks it should be longer but they're all that they're, the last one wasn't that long either it was they're all about that sort of 13 to 17 seconds kind of um mm -hmm. i suspect it's more difficult to set up camera and you would have thought they could maybe do it. Uh, maybe they've only got a big enough <laughs> space to set up a certain amount of track and you've got to set up a lot of gopros and all that sort of stuff haven't you so um and i mean clearly they they run the races and then plan their commentary and do their commentary after the races and stuff mm -hmm. as you would um and that makes it pretty good and I've, I've i've thoroughly enjoyed it um yeah i mean i don't think the track's the greatest thing um but it is still interesting to see you know which cars random their way in from the back um and are able to sort of make points on the rounds where they're on the second row that is what you're looking for is is if they can make points on on the set the, the the other thing I, the thing that I find quite frustrating is if there's a car that's noticeably faster than the others and he can't, like, that car can't, like, exert his advantage. Mm. Um, I always feel uh, uh, frustrated by that. I was going to say, I also feel on this particular course, you talk about the number of fatalities being high. I'd, I'd agree with you. It's not least because the crowd are allowed to stand too close at the finish line, um, which may have been a deliberate design feature. Um but the, the other thing that I think is interesting is the bridge and the way that a number of cars coming out of that bridge do what I call like the A-team role. Do you, do you remember in the A-team, cars would always crash the same way in that one side of the car would drive up like a parked car or a ramp or a bush that concealed a ramp. And, and, and then so rather than, so, and, and that would induce, because one of the side of the car went up and the other side didn't, and the front lifted up, that would be enough to heave it up to fall spectacularly onto its roof. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, the one that went into the drink in the semi-finals that went just disappeared off the edge into the water. That was quite an impressive crash. Um, there seems to be quite a lot of people doing the uh, uh, crazy Jimmy finish the race in reverse um as well there seems to be a number of people uh, managing that particular maneuver um but yeah again the fastest bloke uh i think it was a chap um well nominally a chap in the in the, in the uh a car made it through is is going to feature in the um the end of season whatever the best of the best champions thing is based upon his time alone so they have kept whoever it was scotty or whoever it was that came that had the fastest track time so far Florian. It's that gold DeLorean, that DeLorean oh, yeah. casting, that DeLorean casting seems extremely fast. A lot of people have been using the Sierra Cosworth casting, um, which obviously I absolutely love. It's like watching 80s motorsport with the number of Sierra Cosworths there, that, um, in it. Not a big fan of the Nissan Maxima wagon. There were three in the final, so it was a bit... Uh... Yeah, well, I think they're good because they're low and you can put a lot of weight in them. Yeah, potentially. I don't know why the Sierra's good. Um, so, uh, 
I was taking this magazine, Practical Sports Bikes. Basically, it was for the kind of 90s PP kind of bikes that I love and ride. And it was right up my alley. Like every time they did like a comparison feature, I'd have one of the bikes that they were like doing the comparison between. It really was, uh, they're defunct. Is the end of um, Practical Sports Bikes was performance bikes back in the day. There was like a gap, but it was the same contributors, but just like years later, so talking about the same bikes, but years later, but that magazine is is now defunct and, and that's sad. And it brings me on to um, the demise of print media in the automotive space and how I think we're sort of losing something because I consume print media in a different way from the way that I consume, you know, I, when I'm reading a magazine, I'm not looking at my phone. When I'm looking at my phone, I tend not to read automotive content. I like big articles. When I open a magazine, I'm ready to read a, a, a long article. So I'm saying that I'm missing the magazine because of the form that it takes. I'm not saying I'm going to struggle for content or need to subscribe to another magazine or anything. I'm surrounded by reading material. I'm still looking at my phone and screens all the time anyway. Um, so I, I'm fine with the narrowing almost, but I'm sad that the this particular medium is not able to be sustainable. Mm, yeah, no, it's a shame. Um, but um, I think it's a way. Uh, the other thing that you can do to sort of ape it a little bit is get yourself a tablet because it does feel a little bit more like you've got a sort of larger page, more sort of format, if you know what I mean, and you could hold it in the same way. And although it's not page turning, it does feel a little bit more phones, are long articles on the phone, you know, you're constantly scrolling, even if you have the font pretty small, you're constantly scrolling, whereas on a tablet, it does feel more like, you know, um, yeah, we bought a Samsung tablet years ago. And one of the things I would say about the Samsung tablets is don't be cheap buy the expensive one because the screens are like, wow, cool. And then you're like, it never sort of feels crap. It always feels like, oh, it's premium every time you're on it. And it feels slick. Yeah. Um, and that it has a sort of pass aroundness that a magazine also has in the same way, in a way that your phone quite doesn't, because it's your phone, you know, you can pass it to, whereas you can pass that around in sort of shared way of, oh, quick, quick, have a look at this kind of thing. So it does have a sort of value add. Um, but no, I agree with you. The, um, you know, I've got, but apart from like about seven or eight, I think I've got a complete run of Evos in the other room, um, gathering dust mainly. Um, but I like the fact that I've got them. Um, and at some point I would be very surprised if they don't go digital only in the same way. So, um, quick fire U S road trip money, no object. What do you drive? Um, well, I would probably end up on that road in Idaho that I love that goes out up towards, is it Idaho city up into the mountains? Like, God damn, what a road. It's about 40 miles of like beautiful left, right, left, right, sort of up and down, wrapped around mountains through the trees. Um, I meant, I was watching, huh? I meant what car? Yeah, yeah, no, I know. I was just thinking, what would I drive on that road? Well, given it's super smooth, um, I don't know. I was watching a guy in a Lola T70 go around Spa on, on board today. And you can buy that broadly T70. It's like road legal. Um, I quite like one of those at the moment. 
Um, not much fun as a long road trip vehicle, I suspect, uh, but fun. I mean, in other ways. This F-250 I have for the road trip, I can't believe I've not talked about it before. It was awesome. Um, you know, strong up to more than freeway speeds if you stomp the gas enough. It was a V8 petrol, not not a diesel. Um, we uh, there was uh, there's some roads in in Nevada that um they're gravel. They're 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 marked roads, but they're gravel. They're not paved. So on those roads, you could have it in high four at like 70 miles an hour across this this gravel, which I, I've got to say, I'm not a four-wheel drive person, but high four is the most awesome, one of the most awesome things in motoring. I love high four. So Ollie was like, what's the difference between your high four? Like do it in two-wheel drive. Um, so I've, we're, I'm at the side of the road and I've had it in high four, like off the side of the road on the gravel bit on the side of the road. This is like middle of nowhere in Nevada. Um, and then uh, uh, I, I put it in two-wheel drive, stopped, put it in two-wheel drive. I wasn't messing around trying to change it when I was driving along. Not sure if I could, but I wasn't doing that. Now I stopped, put it back in two-wheel drive, turned the traction control off and, and launched it, right? And I kid you not, it pushed the tail out and the nose up onto the road. And then there was probably a 20-second period where I had the nose of the pickup truck on the road and the back of it on this gravel slope off the side of the road. And we were looking out of the side window and it was sliding in this. It was without question one of the most beautiful slides um, I've ever done. And I will forever love that F-250 pickup. And I now feel like I might need a four-wheel drive pickup truck, not a two-wheel drive one, just because I love the high four, like, I think if you're going to have a pickup, it makes sense to have a four-wheel drive one because it gives you the off-roadness that that image promises you. Um, What's the best music to drive to? <laughs> I mean, it depends. What sort of driving are you trying to accomplish? If you're going through the night on caffeine and holy gasoline, then Boston trance music. Um, but you will inevitably end up speeding. Um, if you want to just chill through Western America, like whatever the country music play station is playing. Um, if you're rolling through Europe, I don't mind doing Europop or otherwise I'll play whatever's on my iPod um, or whatever, uh, YouTube music or whatever. Um, it sort of depends. I try and do, like, if I'm road tripping, I try and do a bit of local flavor just to make sure that you, in the same way as, you know, it's nice to have the windows down. It's nice to smell the countryside as you're passing through it. Part of the value of doing the road trip is seeing all the shit in between that you just fly over. Um, so in the same way as, like, stopping at a diner to have some food, not going in the McDonald's. Because the McDonald's are the same shit everywhere. Fuck that. Um, you know, it's nice to get a bit of local patina on you as well, you know. So eat at the place where Angie's like, do we have to? Uh, I feel a bit uncomfortable eating here in Montana because, like, most of the stuff on the wall has got eyes and horns and is looking at me. Um, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I ate at one of those places in Montana as well. Yeah. 
I mean, and look, you know, you just got to roll with the punches. On the other hand, the pork steak that she had roll was like the big at the size of the plate. And it was a big fucking plate. You know, I mean, it was so the feed you got was huge um, and lovely. And the waitress was super nice and it was it was a lovely place. But it's just different strokes. But you, you don't get that feeling if you roll through. So, yeah, come back to the question. Um, yeah, I, I, t I tend to do digital or um, local. Yeah, the, the fast, the fast digital for highway stuff, for, for sure. Stuck in traffic, I need spoken word. Travel, I, I too believe, I love the local. And, and you're right, Europop, Europop of Europe. Um, and and uh, uh, in America country, and, and we've done um, a lot of country on on uh, on my road trip with the boy there. We did uh, plenty of. Country. And the cheesy, rocky stuff is the best stuff, isn't it? Like it's the most amusing. The you know, I want a boat and millions and like blah blah blah. You know, that's that's the entertainment stuff. The I had to shoot the dog and the missus left me and woe is me. Like fuck off, no one cares. Like I know people they sell really well, but I'm not interested. It like needs to have a little bit of sort of tongue in cheek laugh at itselfness for me. Otherwise, it doesn't quite work. But then I'm not yeah. American. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 interesting. Yeah, it can't take itself too too seriously. Certainly, uh, the atmosphere on on our road trip was that we were not taking um, the music very seriously. We were singing along and and laughing and and generally really in in. in yeah, yeah, that's the best way. Yeah. Um, yeah, because otherwise you start getting into going to the Grand Old Opry and, you know, um, I mean, I'm not really that into country. I quite like to listen to it, the relaxed stuff, you know, the amusing, the rocky stuff. I like, you know, when it all gets a bit serious, it's nice to be able to change the channel. Um, Metallica, short hair or long hair? Um, I don't really care. Like, do whatever they want, you know. No, no, era. Oh, I see. Oh, old, oh, old Metallica. Yeah, yeah. Long hair. Then. Yeah. 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 I thought you'd say that. But those more recent albums are just so lit. Those 90s albums, so listenable. I find I listen to that material more now than the long hair stuff of years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's each their own. And the, the stuff off the most recent album, I, I listened to a couple of tracks. I quite liked it. I thought it was pretty decent. I mean, it felt like they were going back to a early Metallica sort of more than the sort of um, period that I basically tuned out of them. Um, so, yeah. Mark, thank you for your time. My pleasure, man.